How you doing? Oh, great. It's always good to talk to you. You too. And most of the people that I've talked to um, on the podcast have something to do with mental health. Like they, you know, I know them through some kind of connection in mental health, but you and I met in a completely different manner. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was mental health related, but not at all mental health related. But why don't you remind me the first time we met? So the, the very first time we met was at a Stargate exhibit at WonderCon in Anaheim. And we actually took pictures together because we were just so glad to, you know, see two black, you know, the whole black girl geek thing. And um, so, you know, you will be forever in my memory etched as Afroflow. Afroflow. That's right. I was like, who was I dressed as? So this will be a little bit of new information for some of the listeners is that, yes, I do cosplay. Yes, I'm a giant. (laughs) Yay. I'm a giant uh, uh, nerd or geek or blurred black nerd. And when I met uh, Luana at um, WonderCon, it was my first time going and I went by myself, didn't know anybody, was feeling a little self-conscious. She saw me, she said, oh my gosh, can I take your picture? And uh, we took pictures at this uh, exhibit. And then you started telling me about this cool thing that was happening during Comic-Con, to come down for Comic-Con to go to the Afrofuturism Lounge. What, what exactly is Afrofuturism? Whew. That's a loaded question. Um, It really depends on who you ask. Um, Mm. For some people, it is simply science fiction, art, music, comic books that center the Black experience. According to Mark Derry, it was um, more about um, African-Americans envisioning themselves in the future. It's a creative consciousness. On one hand, you use art, music, storytelling, technology, but it's really... Um, forward-facing and the connection, but I would even go a little bit further than that and say, for me, Afrofuturism is Sankofa. And Sankofa is a West African concept that is really a a linkage or connection between the past, the present, and the future. And it's usually symbolized by a bird um, with its feet planted in the ground to represent the present its head turned back facing backwards to represent the past and in its beak is an egg which represents the future and it said um, it's not too late to go back and fix it and so it's about having a consciousness of understanding the connection between all of these different time because time is relative and being mindful and thoughtful about what we do today in connection with what has already happened, what's happening now, and what could happen in the future with an aim towards having the best possible future. Wow. So you heard me go, ooh, around the word <laughs> Sankofa, right? Because I actually haven't heard it put haven't heard it put that way within the context of Afrofuturism. I just had an immediate kind of like, ooh, aha moment. Because, and you might not know this about me, but my family took a trip uh, to West Africa, to, um, to Senegal, uh, Gambia, Burkina Faso. And when we took that trip, the purpose of the trip was my father at the time was working with Haile Garima, who's oh. a filmmaker and a professor who made yeah. the film, what? Sankofa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, I love that man. I do too. And I love that movie. I love that yes. movie. It is amazing that you and I have never talked about the film Sankofa. It is absolutely, I mean, everywhere that I go, whether it's an academic environment or a community organization, I'm always recommending the film. I keep copies of it. 
um, as long as I can, because what happens is I lend them out because I think it's important for people to see the film. And those copies don't always find their way back to me. And mm -hmm. I get, and I live with that because I want the film to have life. And yes. it defies the lie that Africans and African-Americans are not connected because this is an African man, actually East African man, yes. telling a story set in West Africa about mm -hmm. the kidnapping and exploitation of Africans who were taken to the Americas and the rest of the Western civilization to be exploited. It's an, it's an amazing, amazing film. And one of the things, you know, we've been talking about uh, related to this, uh, you know, Afrofuturism, geek culture, geek life, if you will. And again, these are, might be separate and or equal things. I don't know, is how people have the ability to show up and you mm -hmm. show up as you are and you're accepted as you are. And you had a really interesting comment about uh, normalcy. And, yes. Um, <laughs> well, that was, so you just brought up my least favorite word in the dictionary. Well, yeah, because, you know, I have a favorite word too, but my least favorite word is normal because it causes so much pain. Mm -hmm. We are socialized to believe that there is one way of being, living, existing, presenting that is normal and everything else is not. And, and not only is it not, it's less than. And the really sad part about this um, construct of normalcy or concept is that is defined by uh, people who are the minority on this planet. And, you know, it others everyone who is not a white male. No, not just a white male, a heterosexual white male, mm -hmm. conservative, who doesn't like, you know, dress up as Batman. Okay. Yeah. So basically you were saying just, cancel the word normal. Like we just need to cancel yes, the word normal. We do. I mean, imagine what that would do for kids because, you know, bullying has a whole different level because of the colonization of education and the way that we enforce and teach what's normal. Because, you know, schools are where kids learn, you know, culture is reinforced or we are inculcated um, in mm -hmm. the school system into what is normal. And mm -hmm. um, that creates space for bullying. That creates space for social anxiety. It creates space for feeling unaccepted. It creates space for depression because of rejection and bullying. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the whole uniform thing. People say wear uniforms because if everybody is wearing uniforms, nobody can argue about who has better clothes. Mm -hmm. I think we should be able to show up in a Wonder Woman dress at work. I've done it. Not the Wonder Woman dress, but I have I have shown up uh, in, in cosplay at work. Yeah. I mean, you know, who's who gets to pick what is um, professional dress? Because then, you know, then you get in other things like what is professional hair? For years, my hair and the way that I have it right now would be considered unprofessional. Okay. And my hair is simply this is the way it grows out of my head um, with a little bit of color. But the color mm -hmm. is not the thing that would make it unprofessional. It's the texture that would make it unprofessional. Yeah. You know, there was a time when women in the workplace were expected to dress like men. And so we were supposed to wear gray, black, or navy blue. And mm -hmm. something that, you know, wear like a skirt suit. Because even though we were supposed to dress like men, we were expected to wear skirts. Yes. I think you're right. It's really kind of interesting who gets to define professionalism who gets to define normalcy and then how are they defining it in a very um, narrow sort of western white western context 
Right. Really wish we could cancel the word normal as somebody who works in behavioral health, of course, and mental health is, uh, you know, people are comparing themselves to some kind of standard of something. And if they don't meet that standard of, you know, behavior or actions or feelings, and that's not quote unquote normal, then it starts to fall into, well, what's the matter with me and, you know, getting a diagnosis, et cetera. So it puts a lot of uh, heavy load on, on people, I think the word in particular. So um, I wanted to ask too about the Afrofuturism lounge when I went, what was that two years ago? Was it two years ago or three years ago? It was two years ago. Two years ago. I just had a blast. So for the Afrofuturism lounge, how did you get into Afrofuturism? So I got into Afrofuturism before I knew what Afrofuturism is. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, before the, the term was coined. And I say that because I started reading science fiction when I was about eight. Mm-hmm. I started um, reading comic books probably when I was 10. Mm-hmm. Then I started, you know, I started discovering black writers and just, you know, I was so like geek that I, of course, inhaled everything that I could that they wrote just because I was so excited. And then I didn't really discover the term until the 25th first century. So the whole time I was in college, I could have actually made that my major and been quite happy and probably would have got better grades. (laughs) Uh It was always just a hobby on the side. And um, so I guess, you know, I I guess I could say that that's always been a part of me. And the only thing I, I would say in the last five years, probably it's become more prevalent, but like I have friends like um, Tanana Reedu wrote um, My Soul to Keep. And Mm -hmm. I read it and it was such a mind blowing book that I had to give it to another friend and say, look, you got to read this book. And she read the book and she moved to Los Angeles and met Tanana Reedu and her husband and they are actually in community. And so at some point I will get to meet them in person, but it's just the way that um, the work touches you. Like Stephen Barnes has been writing forever Um, And much Mm -hmm. of his work was like co-authored with other, with like maybe a white writer. He's done some writing for Star Trek, but his work, when you read it, not only is it fit within the genre of Afrofuturism, but it's so thoughtful. Like um, the book Lion's Blood is like an alternative um, history, actually, where instead of Europeans discovering the new world, Africans discovered the new world and enslaved Europeans. Okay. That and is the, brand new. Right. And the thing that's interesting about that story is that it makes you reflect on, you know, who are the good guys and the bad guys. And that's something that I think should actually be in the school curriculum, because I think sometimes people need to see things flipped in yeah, order yeah. to be able to have greater perspective. Mm-hmm. Because when it's you that when it's your people that are experiencing the harsh treatment, it's very clear and easy to decide that that treatment is wrong. Right. And then it also, you know, speaks to um, empowerment and then character. And, you know, when we want to judge choices made by other people, can we be sure that if we were in a similar position, we wouldn't make those choices? And what do we need to do within ourselves in terms of self-reflection to make sure that we're on the side of goodness? Mm -hmm. You know, if that's something you care about, of course. Yes, yes. Care about that. So, um, yeah, I'm 
for me, Afrofuturism helps me to envision possibilities. And also, um, you know, the parable of the sower was basically a prophetic look at the 21st century. And ironically, um, it was set in 2021, 2020, 2022, um, up to 2025. And much, if not all, of what was written in that book has come to pass. Um, Some of it might be a little bit, you know, some of it is still a little bit more sci-fi than reality has reached. Um, But I would would posit that some of those things may be happening and we just don't know. Wow. See, now you made me scared. (laughs) Oh, don't be scared. Yeah, don't be scared. Yeah, I mean, look at the the drought issues, the water supply. We have serious water supply issues and we're pretending that everything is okay and we're dancing like it's 1999. And the reality is if we don't start making different choices in our behaviors here in California around water, um, we're going to have some serious problems within the next five years. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm wearing my, um, Oct- what, what does it say? Octavia Butler tried to tell us shirt from uh, Pierre Benu, um, because I think it really does speak to exactly the things you're saying is there's, there's uh, much that is prophetic in her work, uh, especially because we are sitting in 2021, you know, yeah. but the thing I think you're also saying, which I, which I appreciate it though. I said, you know, Oh, I'm scared. I'm scared. Is that, um, you know, if you're reading it sort of with that prophetic lens, that there are things that you can do to negate um, the worst happening, if you will. Meaning, um, she said, you know, what, what did you tell me that life doesn't happen to you, but you have the ability to make life happen yourself, kind of having that sense of agency? Yeah, I mean, so we all have the ability to impact the world in big and small ways. And when we um, take the position of victim of circumstance or life just happens to us, we are surrendering all of our power and all of our ability to make things better. And quite often, even though we aren't aware of our impact, our just accepting that negative um, mindset or point of view of not having any power has an impact because everything is contagious. Mm. I think this is what I've been trying to say in mental health. I don't know that I've said it as eloquently as you have, but um, I think what can happen with people um, who enter into the mental health system is either one um, power is taken away when, you know, things can happen to you involuntarily, if there's involuntary treatment or commitment or things like that. But even in treatment, kind of as you're working with your treatment team, sometimes it feels like you're giving up your power and the power um, belongs with somebody else. It could be the treatment provider. It could be with the caretakers. It could be with the quote unquote system. The system is, you know, people and that you don't have any power. What I've been trying to say is actually, no, you have a lot of autonomy and you have a lot of power. It's not as if you need to be empowered, but how to recognize that that power is already within you. And then you exercise that power that you have. So I really find that I was going to say really powerful. There's a lot of use of the word power, but just so critically important that people don't forget that they have the power um, and don't let people take, don't let others take that power from you or don't surrender that power. I think that's really, uh, really critical for people to think about. So for the Afrofuturism rounds, bopping back and forth. You're having um, something similar this year. It's not called Afrofuturism lounge. What is it called? So it's so here just to give you some backstory, okay? Okay, um, cool. So the event is now called AfroCon. And so it's the Afrofuturism convention. 
And the name change is because when the Afrofuturism Lounge was initially conceived, it was going to be a VIP after party only for people in the industry. Okay, so what is DIP? What, what, what just happened? VIP. It was a VIP. Oh, VIP. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we were only going to invite um, creators and people who were in the industry who weren't able to spend time together to be able to, like, you know, kind of loosen up and just get to network because it's a shame. We thought that we have all these Black creators and artists and writers and, you know, showrunners and everything in the same space at the same time, but so spread out that they don't actually get to connect with one another. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to facilitate those connections. And somewhere in the process of putting together this very exclusive private event, someone said, you know, it's a shame we don't open it up to the public because people need to see all this Black excellence. Yes. And so okay, let's open it to the public. And we didn't change the name because Afrofuturism Lounge was specifically named because it was a party. Yes. And then, you know, so the very first year before we even opened the doors, it had changed from a party to a mini convention. Mm -hmm. But we didn't change the name. And, you know, when we were opening to the public, we thought like, yeah, you know, maybe three or four people will show up. We got 700 people the first year. And we were in this little bitty space with no AC. People had to walk up three flights of stairs. They had to wait in line because we had very limited capacity in the gallery. Um, and they did. And it was amazing. People would come and like literally it was so hot that like sweat was dripping down your face. It was like to the window, to the wall, you know. <laughs> but everybody was connecting and talking and the energy. It was like it was a very alive space. And um, in spite of how hot it was, People weren't leaving. It was a very sticky event. We thought people would come through, see the vendors go out so the next people could come in. And that was not what happened. And um, so the second year, the year that you came, I moved to a different facility. You know, everything was on one floor. We had Mm -hmm. AC. We had lots of space. It was spread out. And it wasn't as packed. You know, people had more room to move around. But um, it was still very lively. And, you know, people had a great time. Yeah. But it was it was more of a convention. We had workshops, panels, we had presenters, we had people from music video producers, we had professors, we had artists, writers. You know, it was a it was a beautiful thing and lots of cosplay. You know, last year was you know everything. Everybody was shut in. We were on quarantine, so I did a virtual event. This year, um, as we were doing the promotion and we were doing it, knowing that we weren't going to be coinciding with Comic Con and we needed to be more intentional. We changed the name so that people who had not been would have a better understanding of what it is and know kind of what to expect. Because the lounge kind of sounds like a speakeasy, right? To me, when I first heard about it, I thought it was going to be like a more relaxed space to come and um, interact and connect with other people. That's that's what I thought. If that's what is that what a speakeasy? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, so I mean, kind of like a kind of like a club or you know, kind of like a oh. network you know, kind of thing. All right. So, but this is more like a convention. We'll have three cosplay competitions. Um, We've got one each day and at the after party and we have um, workshops, presenters. We have of course, vendors and exhibitors and lots of surprises to just make it interesting. And then, yeah. yeah, And then we're keeping the Afrofuturism lounge. It's just that the after future, the Afrofuturism lounge is an actual after party. 
Got it. That's really a, a nice way to conceptualize it so that um, it has the distinctiveness, as you say, is sort of the, the, the con is people kind of understand, you know, Comic-Con, WonderCon, WordCon, KatsuCon, like how many different of these are there, you know, all of the different anime cons, et cetera. So that's sort of understood in the minds of people. And then, um, and again, I don't know how this works with Comic-Con because Comic-Con is just so darn big, as is WonderCon, as is AwesomeCon, which is another one in DC, that I don't know where the after parties are. <laughs> Right. But, um, you know, when Black Folk put on a put on a something, you got to have an after party as far as I know. So, uh, you know, just like with with the Blurred Con, you know, it's the only con I know that runs 24 hours that has these parties that are for adults at 10 o'clock at night that run into three o'clock, <laughs> you know, three o'clock in the morning. So I, I love this idea that the, the lounge is something um, separate in the evening and has more of a party flair to it while the daytime is much more of a traditional like convention thing that's kind of cool so the daytime the daytime is family friendly the after party is grown and sexy grown and sexy okay wow that is changing my whole idea of my cosplay right now it is (laughs) you know i'm not coming as the hatter all like top to bottom anyway that's too much information for my for the for the listeners I'm, i'm i'm really looking forward to it and um you know, again, I think you're you're talking about something around community and belonging. And yeah. I just love that because, you know, we're sitting in a day and age, you know, let's not talk about sort of, uh, you know, the pandemic situation, but even prior to pandemic, this idea of deep community and connection and belonging, it's becoming shattered. Um, and when that sort of shatters, it shatters our whole health and well-being um, and our willingness to, you know, think about our collective action to make the world a better place. I just made it sound like we we're going to solve world peace, but you know what I'm saying? Here we are. <laughs> like for me, um, getting into cosplay, I didn't know anything about cosplay until I was a very old person. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. I okay. knew about it, but I had no idea that I actually myself would be interested in going to a Comic-Con like dressed up as someone. And that's how Afroflow was born. And the cool thing about it for me as a person who lives with a diagnosis of a mental health issue is that I'm very shy, I'm introverted. I do all those things that they say about people who have quote unquote serious mental illness. I isolate, I feel uncomfortable around people. But as soon as I put on my Afroflow, which is a, a mashup of, well, flow from the commercials, you can guess which commercial and sort of black culture. As soon as I put on that outfit and the Afro wig and all my Afrocentric stuff with the apron and the Afro flow name tag, I just become another person. You know what I mean? Or when I become the hatter and I um, own sort of what does it mean when they talk about people being mad, you know, people having mental illness and I put on my hatter outfit and I put dreadlocks to go with my hatter outfit and don it with some kente cloth and stuff, you know, kind of I make these characters my own and I can become the character and suddenly talking to people and being around people is a lot easier for me. And I noticed that it's such a place of accepting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, what's interesting that you chose for the Mad Hatter to include dreadlocks. Um, and I like that you said dreadlocks and not locks because it fits with the energy and the vibe of being mad and being a hatter. And I also love the connection to mental wellness yeah. and, um, you know, just the thoughtful intentionality 
a lot of times, um, I know for me, when I cosplay, um, I've been kind of entering into it kind of tentatively because I was still, even though, you know, I'm fully invested and engaged and excited. I wasn't sure, you know, because I've seen people like cosplay, like like your Afro flow, you clearly put some thought and some effort into putting it together and making it happen. I don't sew. I'm not super crafty. I, I want to just like buy something, maybe go to a thrift store and add some stuff and put on some makeup and call it a day. And I'm not really that good with makeup, but you know, this year I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go harder because we're having three cosplay contests. But um, I will, you know, but in terms of like Afroflow, it it made such an impact on me that like, that's whenever I think of you, I never think of you by your name at first. My first thought is Afroflow. And it's not an insult. It's just that you embodied that cosplay um, in such a meaningful way. And you impacted me when I met you. So for you to say that you're introverted and you don't really people well, the level of enthusiasm and engagement um, at the Stargate was, you know, phenomenal. Like you were telling me about all these things. You got me so excited about BlurredCon that I flew to DC by myself. Yes. So we're going to bring, we're going to come back. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, it it is, it's just one of these things and I'm noticing more and more at the cons, um, you know, having sessions around mental wellness, you know, people with um, autism talking about how gaming or geek culture has helped them um, engage and find a community where nobody will make fun of them. You know, I just appreciate for Afrofuturism and the Afrocon and blurred cons and the like is that, you know, there's a belonging for black and brown people. Because sometimes you go to these larger cons like Comic-Con and it's like, like you like we found each other, what, at WonderCon. Right. There, there were black folk there, but we certainly weren't in the majority, right? right. So um, it made it even more exciting. And now um, Afrocon is coming up here in San Diego. So when when exactly is that? And what what can people expect if they wanted to attend and check all of this stuff out? So it's September 4th and 5th are the main events during the day. Mm-hmm. We'll have three cosplay contests. We'll have vendors and exhibitors doing comic stuff, some sci-fi stuff, but also some stuff for the culture. And we will have lots of good food. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm there. Well, you already know I'm there. Yeah. I'm gonna, and then, um, hopefully... you know, we'll have some workshops and some panels and the workshops are going to run the gamut from, you know, careers in comics and how to, you know, what it's like to break into the industry all the way to like black speculative arts movement and what black futurists are talking about right now. And then, um, you know, there'll be some things on the future. I have like a conversation about the future of food. And that is really important because whoever controls the food supply chain controls what you eat. And we always say you are what you eat. And so if we're looking at the future and being healthy in the future and thriving in the future, um, food is something to think about. Sustainability is something to think about. It's exciting times. Yeah, I think it's going to be really exciting. I'm looking forward to coming and um, don't know exactly who I'm going to cosplay yet. Afroflow will make an appearance, I think, but uh, we'll see if I can add something on to that. The other thing, you know, that you were talking about was... um, when we were talking about your least favorite word, like a word you like cancel normal is kind of what we were talking about, like cancel that norm, a word uh, normal. Then you said you have a favorite word. So what is that favorite word? My favorite word is nebulous. You know, usually you hear when in reference to clouds that, you know, that are kind of, they don't have a specific form and they could become anything. 
And for me, nebulous is about possibilities and about not being restricted or constricted to being any one thing. In some ways, it represents freedom. It represents possibilities and creation. Wow, I love that. And that it sounds a little bit like almost an unapologetically Black unicorn. You know, Black unicorns are free, they're passionate, they're boundless, they're, you know, really, they're not the ethereal type of, of unicorn, right. but, but far more like action oriented kind of unicorn. So uh, it's no surprising uh, to me that you're uh, an unapologetically black unicorn, especially in the Afrofuturism world. So if there is one thing that you wanted to leave our audience with, I always like to leave the audience with some kind of call to action. Um, something that they could do in their lives for either, you know, something for themselves to feel better for themselves, to improve the world around them. Like, what would that be? So I believe that where our attention and our intentions connect, results happen. My one wish for the audience is that uh, regardless of where, how you see the world and how the world is and how the world was, to imagine how the world could be in the most positive way possible and think about one action that you could take individually that's moving in the direction of that positive world manifesting. Because if everybody actually did that, we would have a better world almost overnight. Mm. That's such a beautiful, just so beautiful way to think about moving in the world with intention, you know, especially with positive intention. I think that's a really, really lovely place to leave it. Um, And now I'm going to go do something intentional to make the world a better place. So thanks, Luana. Well, soon to be Dr. Karis. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you at AfroCon. And um, yeah, and for people who don't feel comfortable being in person, there is a virtual component as well. Thank you very much for joining us on Unapologetically Black Unicorns. And um, I look forward to our listeners joining in next week.